So Mark's new role at the church in serving, when I lived out in Philadelphia, there was a church that I would watch on Sunday nights, you know, worn out from preaching and turn on and, and there was a big pulpit and two pastors there, sort of the preaching pastor, and then he had his sidekick next to him who would read scripture and then just throw out the occasional amen. So Mark's new job at the church is going to sit, he's going to sit by me every Sunday and uh, just sort of keep you guys awake. When we're starting to lull, he'll throw an amen in and... Uh, not a chance. I would not give you a mic for that long. This is Mark Christensen. Mark is an uh, amazing man and uh, been at Crossview for 19 years, you said? Yes. A good, good while, we'll just call it. Yep. And um, you see Mark a lot of Sundays back playing the bass. And um, uh, I just asked Mark just if I could interview him, and I wanted to ask him one question because I think it helps a lot of us who are maybe thinking, do I get in the game? Do I serve? Do, do, do I, how do I do that? And the simple question is this, why do you serve? You know, uh, he asked me this question last week, or it was conveyed to me in an email. Everything's electronic these days. <laughs> He's going to age himself a few times, yeah. just so you know. <laughs> Before I start, you know, I just, you know, how blessed am I to play with a group of musicians like this? They are so incredibly good. My hope is that. While I'm in my walker with the little tennis balls, yes, Mike, when I have the tennis balls in front of my walker, they'll still let me come up here and play. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> it forced me, his question forced me to really ponder, why do I serve? Because for the last 46 years that I've been playing guitar, and that just dated myself, <laughs> um, I never really pondered why I serve. So I thought about it, and I remember as a young, as a kid, three years old, I loved music. I'd stand by the phonograph with the, the 45 records. You can Google that one for those of you that <laughs> have to set the speed on the phonograph. Um, and I would listen to Pat Boone and, and the like. Seriously, those of you that have no idea what he's saying right now, <laughs> just write it down and check it out this afternoon. It's real, though. He's not lying. These are actual <laughs> things that happened. As, as I progressed in life, I got to seven years old, and I, I started playing accordion. Why accordion? I don't know. I, it was just something I wanted to do. And then I progressed on and started playing piano. And then at the age of 12, my mom and dad bought me my first Fender guitar and Fender amp in 1965. And do I wish I had that today? <laughs> because I would be retired now. <laughs> um, but I remember growing up in the Covenant Church in Wilmer. And, and I remember especially going to church on Sunday nights because I love the old hymns. Anybody else out there like the old hymns? Great is thy faithfulness. I took off my headset and listened to you people. I love it. But I remember the feeling that I got when I sang those songs. It was almost a supernatural feeling. And I remember there were people in my life at, at the age of 16 that came alongside me. One, uh, just to make a cross-view connection, Scott McConkie's dad, Herbie, was a Youth for Christ director in Wilmer. And, and he was a man who accepted me who I was for who I was and, and everything else that came with it. And there was another couple, Jim and Shirley Portinga, um, who took, a, took me alongside them musically 
and as, as a kid and helped mentor me and brought me into the Christian music program. And one night, as, as a group of guys and kids were going up to Glenwood for some youth rally, that night I came to know Jesus Christ. And I remember the moment that that happened and the feeling that I got, for those of you who know, is that supernatural feeling. And it was the same feeling I got when I sang the hymns. And all of a sudden I put two and two together that, you know what? Maybe this is a direction I should go. God has obviously given me the gift of music in my heart. And for me to serve, Brad, it's like breathing. It, it, to me, it is just what I'm going to do. It's not a burden. It's a joy, trust me. And that, that's our hope is that each of us gets to the point where we're using our gifts and abilities in ways that it feels like we're just breathing. It's natural. It's what we do. There's another piece that Mark was telling me about that I, that I think is really cool um, that we hadn't planned on talking about, but I, I think it's an important part of this. It's not just playing an instrument, but over the last year or so, and next week is Next Gen Sunday. So we'll have third grade Bibles, confirmation, really cool Sunday, kids on the stage, students serving, but then another cool piece with you. Sure. Um, before I get into that piece, I oh also God. want to give mention him a microphone that, and <laughs> yeah, whatever. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, had to do it. Um, speaking of mentoring, I'm not 100% sure I would call it mentoring, but I have a 36-year-old son. His name is Matt. He's the tall guy that used to play bass guitar up here all the time, and believe me, that touches my heart. Too bad he's moving back to Milwaukee, but. Uh, it is what it is. He will engage there. But next Sunday is Next Gen Sunday. A couple years ago, I had a young man and his mother come up to me and, and ask me if I knew where uh, he could find a, a used base, reasonable cost. And I said, don't go buy one. I said, I have numerous in the basement, and you can certainly use one of those. Um, next Sunday, there's going to be a young man his name is John, and he, uh, he and his folks are here from Turkey. They've been coming to church here for quite some time. And he is a bassist. He plays stand-up bass, and he plays four-string bass. He plays six-string bass, and he could school me any day. He is very good at 14 years old. He started at, what, 11, 12 years old playing stand-up. Um, you know, the cool thing is, John, stand up, please. <laughs> His, his hair color and length was mine at 16, right there. So, John, you have this to look forward to. <laughs> so, next week, John, we're going to engage John up here playing bass guitar. And what a joy it is for me to see him uh, grow in, in playing bass and, and hopefully in his spiritual life. So, um, I'm awesome. the lucky one. Very cool. That's... Mark's story is the story of hundreds of people around here, and, and we just think God does something in and through us when we let him use us as we, we love one another. So um, let me pray, and we'll jump into the word. God, thank you for um, Mark as an example of so many around this community, God, who, who serve in ways, some that are seen, God, but so many that are behind the scenes that just change lives. And so, Lord, um, out of that, as we as a community now enter into your word, God, would you speak? Would we hear your word? Would you form 
us into the likeness of your son, as Paul says. Pray this in your name, for the glory of your name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. Well, we are in a year-long series, and we started at the beginning of September, the beginning of the Bible, and we will end at the end of August, at the end of the Bible. But we are finally, praise God, in the New Testament. Steve Weens was here last week and kicked us off in Luke chapter 1, and I would encourage you to listen to that. And this morning, we are going to stick with the April Christmas theme, because that's what you do in, in April. You have Christmas, right? And uh, we are in Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in the whole chapter. Uh, growing up, one of the experiences that I had growing up is we, like any good Christian family, would open our Christmas presents on Christmas morning. If you guys open them on Christmas Eve, that's not God's will. They're meant to be. <laughs> My wife's family does Christmas Eve, and it still just throws me. Um, well, yeah, we'll leave that alone. Uh, but we would get up Christmas morning, you're already, you know, you're excited for the gifts, and we'd sit down around in the living room around the Christmas tree, and what would dad do every year? Slowly open the Bible, and we would read Luke chapter 2. Every year, the whole chapter before we could open gifts. And I remember back in the day, it, it often was like, I, I, don't, I don't hear what's going on because I want to open that gift, but now as I look back on it, I think it was absolutely beautiful. That this story again and again and again was put into us. And as people now who've been in this series, we're seeing God's big story, we understand that Luke chapter 2 does not sit alone. It's not just the birth of Christ. This is the fulfillment of Israel's story. That God's redemptive move all through scripture is entering in again and again and again and again. So we this morning are going to read 52 verses. If you're new to Crossview this year, um, we are trying when possible to read the whole of the text that we're giving, given. So we're going to read a lot of verses. I'll give a little commentary and then at at the end, we'll, uh, we'll look at some takeaways for us as a community. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus. Like any good story, it starts out with the most important information that this is a world and this is a time of kings. And what we're going to see is Jesus comes in claiming to be king. And that ends up being at the core of the story of Jesus and why so much happens. Because in a world of kings... He comes in claiming to be king, claiming to bring a kingdom, and it's not going to look anything like they thought, but he's still, he's still bringing in some sort of rebellion with this kingdom language. So it says, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with, his, took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. We'll just leave that statement alone. Could be offensive. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in the manger because there was no lodging available for them. If someone had to ask you, tell me about Luke chapter 2, tell me the Christmas story, we would probably hit some of the highlights that we've already seen. The inn, the manger, Joseph and Mary. It's intriguing, this word for inn, it, it, it's really hard to know exactly what it is, but it's probably the first floor of a two-story house. And on the upper uh, floor is where the family lived. The lower floor is just simply where they kept their animals. 
There's nothing special about it. It's not an inn as we would think and how some translations put it. And then we come to verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, as we all would be. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Underline, highlight, circle that. That is what this story, that is what Jesus brings in. Good news, great joy for who? All people. So, so key. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. Again, this is another underline and highlight it because those words that are used here about this one who has just been born are the same words that were used for Augustus. This king who brought power in ways that often push people down, those same words are now being used for baby Jesus. That he's king, he's bringing in a kingdom, and it's going to be so, so different than the kingdoms of this world. This Messiah, this Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by a sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. We're going to come back to that at the end. When the angel had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Another passage I'd encourage you to underline, verse 17. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone. It's like that experience, you've been to a restaurant and you have the meal of your life. What do you do for the next two weeks? You tell about the gospel of whatever restaurant you were at. You've got to go there and try the scallops. They were awesome. That's the experience here. They've encountered the one they were hoping for and waiting for. And now that they've seen that this baby has come, they go to tell everybody about him. And what the angel had said to them about the child. Verse 18, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them very often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. It was just the angel had told them. Verse 21, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for the purification offering as required by the law of Moses. After the birth of the child, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord, bringing about that story of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1 in the Old Testament. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. These are faithful Jews. They're following the law. They're worshiping God in the way that they were supposed to. By the way, the offering that they gave was what somebody of the lower class would give. These are not elite people. This story that we are being told about uses common folks just like you and I. That's how God works. Let's keep reading. Verse 25, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and eagerly waiting. That eagerly waiting is the language that we talk about when we get to December of year, the language of Advent. This idea that Israel was waiting for the deliverer, the Messiah to come. They're waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And we don't know much about this guy, by the way. Very, very little. He, he, beyond this, it's just that the guy appears and is part of this story. It's how God works. Took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you as promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall. Some lines in here that we, we could sit with a little more if we weren't reading 52 verses. But if you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, it's not going to all be easy. There's going to be people that, were, that are against him that eventually will put him to death. And it goes on to say, but he will be joy to others. Some fall joy to others. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. It's intended for Mary. The pain that she is going to endure watching her son on the cross is predicted in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. Anna, a prophet who was also there in the temple, she was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Another line not to use, men, when you're talking to women. Her husband died when she'd been there, married only seven years. By the way, the, most commentators think she's somewhere around 104 years old. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began, began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. Another line that's just so full of beauty. She encountered, and I, I think part of it should just be, or when you encounter Jesus, you go and tell people. It's how it works. When we've received the life that God and Jesus Christ has to offer, it's something we share. And too often we wait, like, I gotta, no, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't, have, you don't have to have your life all together. When you've encountered Jesus, you tell people that story. So we keep reading. Verse 39, when Jesus' parents had fulfilled the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee, and the children, the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Again, Anna, Simeon, Mary, Joseph, and in a manger. This story is full of common people, common situations, bringing about God in human form who will ultimately change the world. Verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. By the way, they're traveling in there with a bunch of people. Naturally, you wouldn't think he's probably in, in, in the back of the line with his, his friend Bobby having a good time. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their other relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, another key word that we see throughout the Gospels, this three days carries significant meaning. They finally discovered him in the temple. 
sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. By the way, verse 36, that he's sitting among the religious leaders. This is God in human form, listening to them and asking questions. Another, if that's how Jesus sits with people, shouldn't that be sort of how we sit with people? Too often we're about, here's what I think, here's what I got. No, sat with them and listened to them. I think there's something profound for that in us. So that's where Jesus is. His parents, um, verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said, Jesus, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. If you're a parent, you've had one of those moments in the mall. Maybe you've left your kid at church one time. It might have been the kid who was left at church that one time. You know, and, and, and then you come back, you're like, ah, we're back together. It's your fault, child. And then Jesus comes with this. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. See that again. It's intriguing. I would encourage you sometime just to look at Mary in the Gospels. Look at her interaction with the God who was her child. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. These last few minutes, let me just give you a couple of takeaways. There's so much that we could talk about here. Um, one of the things across you that we want to do every week when we look into God's word, it's not just that we know more that God does something in us so that when we walk out, we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, a couple of things. One is, I, I think when you look at Luke chapter 2, and I said this a little bit at the beginning, but the first thing is, this is about God's ongoing story. It's not just Luke chapter 2 by itself. It's understood in the bigger picture of God's story that Jesus coming, it was part of Israel's hope. It's ultimately part of our hope. That is God's ongoing story of entering in for redemption, working through ordinary, broken, messed up people, working through expectations, bringing hope, working through fear. It sits in the grand story of what God is doing. That God enters in again and again and again and again. And that sort of brings me to the thing that I want us to talk about for just a few minutes here. And that is that line in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, where this heavenly host is singing to the shepherds. And here's what they say, glory to God in the highest. It's ultimately about God's glory. And then here it is. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. This story at its core, the story of Jesus, is ultimately an announcement of peace. That this God child, in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, he is bringing in ultimate peace. It's what Jesus, after he's risen from the dead and comes into the disciples in the upper room who are cowering in fear, what does he say? Peace be with you. This is ultimately a beautiful story of peace. And we get that, but it's also very, very hard for us to understand as we struggle to know and understand true peace. So in the Jackson house, my wife and daughters absolutely love Christmas. And she's sitting here this morning, so I got to watch my words. Um, Stacy loves Christmas. And part of what she loves about Christmas is she loves Christmas cards. Um, does anybody else love Christmas cards? 
if nobody likes the sending out, getting, receiving Christmas cards. In our home, it's a big deal. And what happens is as we receive them, they are put up on the refrigerator. Sometimes they're put up on many different cupboards in our, in our uh, kitchen. And it is just pictures galore. And uh, one of the things I've noticed, this was our Christmas, the picture at least on our Christmas card a few years ago. One, and, and yes, that's Brad with hair. And uh, one of the things I've noticed about Christmas cards is we like to put good pictures up, right? Like, let's find the really good picture from this last year. Let's make sure that we look good. We had everything together. It, it paints the picture on some level that there's no turmoil. There's nothing wrong. All is good. When we send out the Christmas letter, what do we do? We tell the good stories, right? We tell like the, the job promotion, the sports the kids are playing. We didn't tell the sport that they got cut from. We tell the ones that they made. We tell about life that looks really, really good. What this picture doesn't tell you is that the Jacksons probably were arguing on the way to that picture day. <laughs> I don't want to wear this. You're wearing it. Don't want to wear it. You're wearing it. And as I know, none of you fought on the way to church this morning, right? It doesn't tell the story behind. And often those pictures that look really good on the outside is we're trying to put this facade that we have it all together when the truth is behind the picture are hurting marriages, broken dreams, financial worlds falling apart, addiction, inner turmoil, teenagers dealing with loneliness and expectation, little kids who are being bullied, doesn't tell about the true story behind that's actually going on. And that's why I think this word peace in verse 14 is a word we all need. This story about Jesus coming as an infant is bringing peace to all people. The word for peace in the New Testament is irony. In the Old Testament, it's shalom. You've probably heard that often. It literally means wholeness. Literally means wholeness. It's this state of freedom from anxiety or inner turmoil. It's when things are okay. It's when things are right. And I love that the text right before this says, I bring you good news of great joy because we know when we experience peace, peace with God and peace with people around us, that is the moment where we have joy, things are right, we've understood the good news. And that's the story of Luke chapter 2. God who decides to enter into our story and offer peace. It's the story throughout Scripture. It's God in the garden walking with Adam and Eve. It's God coming to Abraham. It's time and time and time again that God, the God child in the story, enters in and brings peace. Because that's all that God can do. It's like if you hear your child screaming in the other room, what do you do? Do you just sit there? Oh, they'll make it. They'll be okay. No, you hear that shriek of something's wrong and you are up off the chair and you are running. That's how God sees his creation. Shrieks of pain, of addiction, of shame, of sin, of whatever it might be. The story of God starts by entering in as an infant. As an infant. 
And as an infant, he offers that peace to all people. I think we long for peace. I think one of the best understandings, one of the best defenses of the gospel is not trying to verify that this is true, not trying to verify that all that Jesus said actually happened. I think that's important, but I think one of the best defenses that there is a God and that God came and was born and lived and died and rose again is when we look in our inner core, we long for things to be right. We all know the inner turmoil that sits in each one of us. And we go to so many things to try and fill it. We try and go to success. We try and maybe go to our kids' success. We go to so many. We go to, to substances. We go to sex. We go to relationships. We go to all these different things. And if we're really honest, if we're really honest, my guess is you're just like me. Not one of those things has ever brought me lasting peace. Not one relationship not one thing in work that I thought I was successful at. Might have brought temporary happiness, but it didn't bring lasting peace. And that's the story of Jesus coming in, that he actually wants to bring lasting peace. So that when you look on your fridge and you see all those pictures that look really good, God sees each story, each place of pain, each place of turmoil. And in the same way says, I offer peace. I offer things to be made whole. Friends, peace is the presence of God in your life, making you whole, moving you in his love towards the people around you. And so my invitation this morning is this. What if we all just put together the real Christmas card? Not the fake one, not the one where it all looks good and the greenery is behind us, it's all lovely. But the one that said, here's my pain, here's my shame, here's my sin, here's the relationship that I worship, that I want to bring me peace. As much as I strive, as much as I claw at it, it doesn't. So my invitation this morning for each one here, in your mind, maybe in your notes, is put together the real Christmas card. Real insecurities. Honest about sin. And say, God, I want your peace. I've tried and tried and tried and tried. I want your peace. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that... Um, for each one in this room. This text for me in, in April has been so good and so freeing, God. I, I turn to so many things other than you. And they never bring the peace that you offer. They never bring complete, true wholeness that only you offer, God. So God, this morning, as we should consistently do, God, we confess all the places all the spaces, God, that we go to to try and find peace, God. We confess sin. We confess addiction. We confess the worship of success, of relationship, 
whatever it is, God, we confess it, we seek your forgiveness, God, and we pray that you would give us the strength to trust you for the peace that only you can bring. Do that good work in each heart today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.